All right. Hey, let's take a Bible and open it together as we continue in our study of the life of David, that great man of God. In the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 24. 2 Samuel 24. And if you didn't bring a Bible today, we'd like you to borrow the copy of the Bible we have for you right on the back of the seat in front of you. We're going to be on page 235 to begin. Page 235 in our copy or 2 Samuel chapter 24 in your copy. You know, um, in our world, we use all different ways to measure things. For example, we measure temperature in degrees. We measure uh, weight in pounds. We measure distance in miles. But I wonder if you've ever thought about how God measures worship. You say, well, no, I've never thought about that. I didn't even realize God did measure worship. Well, He does. And we want to talk today, growing out of the passage that's in front of us, we want to talk about the yardstick that God uses to measure the acts of worship that you and I present Him. So that's what we're going to talk about. A little bit of background. Let me remind you that King David, at age 65, did an incredibly stupid thing. What he did is he committed an act of idolatry. He numbered his army when there was no military reason to do so, indicating to us that he had begun to find his security not in the size of his God, but in the size of his army. And this offended God. It made God angry. And as a result, God held David accountable and David weaseled. He didn't accept full responsibility for what he had done. And so in response, God sent a plague on Israel. Finally, David fessed up. Finally, he owned his stuff. And now, as the plague is coming to an end, we pick up the story. So let's look beginning at verse 18. 2 Samuel 24, beginning at verse 18. On that day, Gad, Gad was David's personal prophet, his personal spiritual advisor. He went to David with a message from God and said to him, Go up, this is God's command, and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna. Now, Aruna is a person. And a threshing floor was something that a farmer used. It was a flat, open, outdoor space where a farmer would separate his grain. He would separate the kernels of wheat or the kernels of barley from the stalks and the chaff and all the other stuff that was worthless. And so Aruna was out there doing this, and David was sent to build an altar on his threshing floor. Now look at what happens. Verse 19, So David went up as the Lord had commanded him, and when Aruna looked and saw the king and his men coming towards him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. And Aruna said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? Now you might not recognize it, but when the Bible says, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? This is the Bible's way of saying, What's up? So that's what Aruna really says to David. It says, David, what's up? And David says, let me tell you why I'm here. I'm here to buy, verse 21, your threshing floor so that I can build an altar to the Lord so the plague on the people may be stopped. And now Aruna does an unbelievable thing. Look what he does. Verse 24, uh, verse 22 rather. But Aruna said to David, let my Lord the king take whatever he pleases and let him offer it up. And then take my threshing floor. I'm not going to charge you for it. And more than that, here are my oxen, the ones I use to pull the plow and, and till the ground. I want you to use them, cut them up for the burnt offering. And here are the threshing sledges and the ox yokes. Here are my plows and my yokes. I want you to take them and use them for the wood to build the altar. O king, 
Aruna gives all of this to the king. He goes, King, I'm not going to charge you for this. If you're going to use it for God, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you not just a threshing floor. I'll give you my oxen. I'll give you my plows. You can have it all, God. I don't want you, uh, Lord, uh, Day, King. I don't want your money. Well, David says, verse 24, No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So, David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and the, the plows and everything uh, by paying Aruna money. And David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord answered prayer in behalf of the land. Now, friends, there's an incredibly important spiritual truth that I want us to see here. It's found in David's words in verse 24. David says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord offerings that cost me nothing. He could have easily expropriated Aruna's property, turned around and given it to the Lord. The cost to David would have been absolutely zero. But David said, no, 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 I'm not doing that. When I give something to the Lord, I want to make sure it costs me something. That's the way I give to God. Now, I want to stop there because we have an important question to ask. And everybody knows what it is. So, everybody ready? Y'all ready? All right, ready? Here we go now. Deep breath. <gasps> One, two, three. Very good. All right. You say, so what, Lon? I mean, I think Aruna's offer is wonderful. I think what David did is really full of integrity. But you know what? This doesn't have a thing to do with my life in the 21st century, does it? Well, the answer is yes. Because there is a principle here on display that both of these men, both Aruna and David demonstrate this principle, and here's the principle, and that, that is that namely, in order for the things that we dedicate to God to qualify as authentic worship, those offerings need to cost us something. And we're not just talking about money here. We're talking about the time we donate to God, the energy we donate to God, the service we donate to God, the prayer we donate to God, the public loyalty we donate to God. Whatever it is that we donate to God, in order for the Lord to regard it as authentic worship, friends, it has to cross a certain threshold. And the threshold that it has to cross is, as David said, it has to cost us something to qualify as worship in the sight of God. Aruna's offer qualified. He was going to give everything he had so he couldn't even make a living. Did that qualify? Yes. And David, too, said, I won't give the Lord anything that doesn't cost me something. Now, you say, Lon, i got two quick questions. One, are you sure you're not reading too much into this? I mean, are you sure you're not trying to make this verse walk on all fours? I mean, is this really a biblical principle? And two, if it is, why? Why is it that God says for something to be called real worship in His sight, it's got to cost me something? Well, let's answer those questions. Question number one, am I reading too much into this? I don't think so. I want you to turn in the New Testament with me to Mark chapter 12, the second book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark. Mark chapter 12, if you're using our copy of the Bible... It's page 718, page 718, and here we see Jesus teaching us the exact same lesson that David just demonstrated for us, that worship is worship when it costs us something. Watch, it's a very familiar story, but watch what happens. Verse 41, Mark chapter 12, verse 41. 
And Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Jesus decided to people watch this particular afternoon and he took up his position right where people were coming to make their gifts to God. Interesting place to sit and watch. And it says, many rich people threw in large amounts of money. Now, in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, the Bible tells us that when these people would come to make their offering, they would have trumpets blown before them and heralds go before them. So can you imagine the scene? Suddenly you hear a trumpet. And then you hear the herald. Hear ye, hear ye, Rabbi so-and-so is here to make his big-hearted, magnanimous, awesome, generous gift to God. And then Rabbi would come, so-and-so would come in and put his money in. And then the next guy would come and they'd blow the trumpet and do it again. Can you imagine the scene? This was repeated over and over again. Was Jesus impressed? No. Not at all. But look what happens. Suddenly, verse 42, a poor widow came in and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Now, the Bible tells us a little bit farther down in verse 44 that what she put in was everything, look down there, all that she had to live on. Friends, widows in the ancient Near East lived a very tough life financially. Uh, Widows had virtually no way to support themselves in an agrarian society. There was no government assistance, no social security survivor benefits. There was no life insurance. This woman did not have a piece of the rock. And many women in this position turn to begging, some we know even to prostitution, because it's the only way they could survive. Now, the Bible calls this lady a poor widow. She wasn't even a rich widow. The fact of Greek word literally means destitute, penniless, indigent. This woman was little wood shanty in rural Mississippi poor, if you got the picture. And in she comes, the Bible says, to present to God her offering. And I'll bet you when she walked in, she probably walked in with her head kind of down. I'll bet you she walked in a little bit embarrassed to be there with all these rich people and all these powerful people putting in all their money. Hey, I bet that no trumpets went off for her. What do you think? I don't think they announced her coming to make her offering. And she came in, the Bible says, and how much money did she quietly and unpretentiously give? She gave two perutas, literally in Hebrew, two little copper coins. And as a matter of fact, I have two of them right here that I bought when I was in Israel years ago. They're about 2,300 years old. They're the real deal. And this is what the woman gave, two little tiny copper mites or perutas she threw in, and the Bible says this is all she had. This is it. The woman liquidated all of her stocks, all of her mutual funds, all of her commodities, and all of her real estate holdings. And when it was all done, she had two perutas worth in our money today about one quarter of one penny. That's what they were worth. One quarter of one penny. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see a penny, when I'm walking down the road and I see a penny on the ground or the sidewalk, do you? I don't even stop. I don't even pick it up. I mean, I used to pick pennies up, but as I've gotten older, I have to weigh the effort of getting down there versus the value of what it is. And it ain't worth getting down there to get the thing up. And, and, and so, you know, this woman didn't even give a penny. This woman gave a quarter of a penny. And look what Jesus said. 
He called his disciples to him, verse 43. He says, guys, Andrew, James, John, come here, everybody, come here, come here, come here, come here. Hurry up, hurry up. And they all ran over and Jesus said, I want to tell you something, fellas. I want you to look at that poor widow and I want to tell you, she put more into the treasury than all those rich guys. They said, but Lon, that's not true. She didn't put more in there than all the rich guys. All the rich guys put thousands and thousands of dollars in there. This woman put in two perutas, a quarter of a penny. Ah, see, that's the issue. The issue is that we use a completely different measuring stick to measure worship than God uses. We use outward appearance. We use amounts. We use things that we can see that impress us. But the things that impress us are not the same things that impress God. God wasn't the slightest bit impressed by all of that money that all those rich people dropped in. What impressed Him was the widow's offering. And you want to know why? Look at this. Look at the last verse, verse 44. Jesus said, let me tell you why she impressed me. Why I was honored with what she did, not what those rabbis did. Here's why. They, those rabbis, those rich guys all gave out of their wealth. It didn't cost them anything to give what they gave. They looked at their holdings, they looked at their money, they looked at their resources, and they decided on an amount to give that didn't cost them any luxuries, any comforts, didn't make any change in their lifestyle. The real cost of their gift, I don't care how many dollars they put in, Jesus said, the real cost of their gift to their everyday lifestyle is zero. But, Look what Jesus said. He said, but she, this woman, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. This woman may very well miss dinner tonight and breakfast tomorrow because of what she came in here and gave me. It cost this woman something to give me what she gave me. And that's what honors me. I don't care about the amount, Jesus said. What do I need money for? I own the universe. I don't care about the amount. I care about the cost that people go through to give what they give to me. And this woman, now that was worship, Jesus said. That was real worship. Friends, God measures our worship gifts by a different yardstick than we use. Not in terms of how much we give, and we're not just talking money, but how much we give in terms of time and energy and service and prayer and public loyalty. He doesn't care how much we give. What He cares about is how much it costs us to give whatever it is we give. And you say, well, Lon, that leads to our second question. Why? Why is this? Well, the reason is that, friends, worship, worship always costs something. Let me tell you why. Worship is is anything we do that communicates to God He is number one in our life, that we value Him more than we value anything else in life. Now, you can do this by the way you use your time. You can worship God by the way we use our talents, the way we use our energies, the way we use our resources, the way we stand up in public for Him. There's all different kind of ways to worship God. But here's the point. If we draw the line at something and say we will give up to that point, and then at that point we stop because we don't want to lose, we don't want to sacrifice that, then what have we really told God? Have we really told God He's number one in our life? No. What we've just told God is whatever that thing is that we're unwilling to to pay the cost of giving up, that that's really number one in our life. Friends, the only way to communicate to God that He's worth more to you than something else is to go past that something else, to be willing to pay a cost in that something else to make sure God gets the message. So, in order for us to worship, 
Worship always has to be a deliberate act where something, we, we're, we, we pay a cost. And that cost that we pay is what convinces God that we're really serious and that He really is number one in our life. You cannot worship, not in the sight of God, without cost. Personal cost. Now, let me say, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ in a real and personal way, that it's very important you don't get two things mixed up here. Because, you see, going to heaven and worshiping operate on two totally different systems in the mind of God. Be careful. If you get them operating on the same system, you'll get this whole thing messed up. Worship is a system where we, as followers of Jesus Christ, deliberately, volitionally, and on purpose decide we're going to pay a price We're going to sacrifice something. We're going to pay a cost to communicate to God He's number one in our life. But going to heaven is not on that same basis. Going to heaven doesn't have any cost involved. Going to heaven is not anything that you do. It's not a deliberate act on your part that gets you into heaven. There's not a thing that God asks for you to pay to go to heaven. Heaven is a free gift that is given because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, paying His his blood, paying for our wrongdoing, And we access it not by doing things that cost us something. We access it simply by embracing Him and trusting what He did on the cross for us. It's a free gift. Now, don't get those two systems messed up. If you get them messed up with one another, you will completely mess the plan of God up for your life. Worship is for followers of Christ. If you're not a follower of Christ, God is not interested in worship from you right now. God is interested in you embracing what Jesus did for you on the cross, and that's free. There's nothing about it to cost you a thing, okay? So keep that straight. Now, for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, though, I think that this passage begs a question. A question that you need to ask yourself, that I need to ask myself. It's not an easy question. And let me warn you, it's not a comfortable question. If you want to stay inside your comfort zone, this is not the question you want to be asking yourself. But if you want to honor God in your life, and you want God to regard your life as a matter of worship, then this is the question you and I need to ask. Here it is. Here's the question. The question is, how much of my everyday life does God view as worship? How much of my everyday actions and my everyday choices does God view as worship When we understand that in order for something to qualify as worship, it's got to cost us something. You know, I was reading in James Dobson's magazine about a young gal named Angie Guidry. Angie Guidry was a senior at Sam Houston High School in Moss Bluff, Louisiana. Does anybody know where Moss Bluff, Louisiana is? Well, I don't either. But it's somewhere in Louisiana. And anyway, she got a a perfect 4.0. She was the valedictorian of her high school class. And it was customary at Sam Houston High School for the valedictorian to get to make the speech at graduation to her fellow graduates. And so she worked on the speech, and the day before, she turned it into the faculty for faculty review, as is customary. And on the morning of the graduation, the faculty came to her and said, you cannot give this speech. We will not approve this speech unless you make some changes in it. And she said, well, well, I don't understand. What is wrong with the speech? And you might not understand. What could a 17-year-old girl say that could possibly be all that scandalous that they'd need to change her speech? Well, could I read you the part of her speech that they didn't like? And I quote, this is what she was going to say to her fellow graduates. And I quote, most of you are probably expecting me to say that you really need to go to college 
because it's important for you to get an education. But the most important thing is not, as far as I'm concerned, whether you have a good education or a good job, but whether you have the Lord in your life. If you're not doing it all for the Lord, then it really doesn't matter how many years you go to school or how successful you are anyway. God loves you so much. And whether you're here today as a graduate or not, my prayer to you is that you would seek the Lord Jesus, believe in Him, and give your heart to Him so you can live forever in heaven. And the principal came to her and said, you are not saying that in the auditorium of Sam Houston High School. You either drop that out of the speech or you're not giving your speech. Now, you go think about it and get back to me. Remember, graduation was that afternoon. She went and prayed about it, thought about it, came back and told the principal. She said, sir, I'm really sorry. I've prayed about it. I've thought about it. And I will not drop this from my speech. I've been working four years to give this speech. This is what I believe. This is what's on my heart to say. I will not drop it out of my speech. And he said, well, then guess what? You won't give a speech. And she didn't. They got some other gal and helped the gal write the speech in a couple of hours and stuck her up there and somebody else gave the valedictory address. But now here's my question. In light of what we've learned from the Word of God today, how, ask yourself, how does God view what Angie Guidry did? Well, from my point of view, God sat up there in heaven and said, now what she just did, that's worship. That's worship. Because here what this girl did, she put me ahead of something else in her life. Ahead of something that she valued. Ahead of something she'd worked for. Ahead of something she cared about. She wanted to give that speech. She'd worked to give that speech. She deserved to give that speech. It was an honor to give that speech. But she said, Lord, you're more important to me than that speech. You're, I'll put you ahead of that speech. I'll walk away from the speech. But I won't walk away of, from honoring you. Friends, that's worship. And, and that, that is, is what God wants to look at your life and my life and see. In the use of our time, the use of our energy, the use of our resources, how we stand up for Him. God wants to sit up in heaven and say, you know what? That was worship she just did. That was worship He just did. And I'm honored by what that follower of Jesus just did right there. I'm honored by that. I accept it as worship and it pleases me. How about when it comes to the use of our time? Does our, and our service for God, does our service for the Lord ever, these are the questions you should ask, ever cost us something like a tea time? Does it ever cost us something like the evening news? Does it ever cost us something like time to work on our hobby or sleep? Now, I'm not against uh, golf. I mean, I'm terrible at it, but I'm not against golf. I'm not against having a hobby. I'm not against the evening news. But what I'm saying is, if we serve God all the way up to our tea time, but then our tea time's where we draw the limit and say, okay, God, that's as far as I go. Well, what are we really telling God? Who's number one in our life? God or our tea time? What are we really saying here? And what about in, the, in terms of our public loyalty? I mean, does it ever cost us to take a stand for the Lord, a friend, a promotion at work, some honor that we otherwise would have gotten, family harmony? I mean, do we put these things ahead of God and go, okay, God, I'll stand for you till I get to the place I lose a promotion, but I'm not going to lose a promotion over this. Well, what are we really saying to God? Who's first here? And in, in terms of our financial giving... 
I mean, what is your financial giving costing you? What creature comfort, what luxury item that you'd love to have can't you have because of your giving to God? Friends, these are, are, are questions that we need to ask and we need to have answers to. And I'll tell you, I was in the shower this morning thinking about this, and God said to me, Solomon, don't you get up there and say that, you hypocrite. There are some areas of your life where you're not paying enough cost yet for it to be worshipped. Don't you get up there and say that until you're prepared to make those course corrections in your life. So I'm not telling you something I haven't had to walk, go to the woodshed on myself on this, but these are good questions, friends. If the time you're giving doesn't qualify as worship, if you're not across the threshold, why are you wasting your time? Don't do anything. God looks at you like the rich people that come in with the money in the pot. Keep your time. If the, if the, the amount of giving you're giving to God doesn't qualify as worship, keep your money. If the love, public loyalty, the stands you're making for God don't qualify as worship, then just slink around and don't take any stand. I mean, if you're going to do it at all, at least do it to the point that it really qualifies as worship. And what's the threshold? What did David say? I won't give the Lord something as worship that doesn't cost me something. What's it costing you to worship God? And if you don't have a good answer for that, then it's not worship yet. And I hope if there's a need for course correction in your life like there is in mine in a couple of areas, Man, just let's have the courage to go make it so God will look down at us and go, Wow, did you see that? Now that honors me. I'm excited about that. We want to be like that widow. May God help us be like that. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for talking to us today about worship. And we don't normally think of worship in these terms. We normally think of coming into a church service for an hour and that's worship. But Lord, thanks for reminding us today worship is a whole lot more than that. Worship is something that should be happening every day in our lives. And thanks for talking to us today about the yardstick that you use to measure worship. Lord, if we're not on the right side of that threshold, grant that the Spirit of God would speak deeply to our hearts today and grant that we would be willing to make the changes we need to make so that whatever we donate to you, at least as we donate it, it really qualifies as worship. Change our lives because we were here. Change our lifestyles. And most importantly, Lord, make us people whose lives are a living act of worship as followers of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.